Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. I'm Chris Byrne, the Yorkshire Post political editor, and I'm joined today by a very special guest, um, the new Transport for the North Chair, Lord Patrick McLaughlin. Um, Patrick is a former Transport Secretary and Chairman of the Conservative Party, as well as being a long-standing Derbyshire Dales MP. Um, we're actually meeting in person today in a hotel in Leeds, which is why you may be able to hear a little bit of background music uh, on the go. But um, thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure, Chris. Um, so we've got so much to talk about. Um, you were appointed, was it about three three weeks ago or so? Yes, just 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 under three weeks ago. Um, and so, can I first ask then, how did you end up becoming the new the new chair of TFN? Did you apply, or did someone approach you, or how, how did kind of the process happen? There was a group. Uh, somebody approached me and said, "Would I apply?" Uh, there was obviously a deadline, so I, I looked at what I understood the job to be and uh, decided that I would like to apply for it. And, uh, you know, there was an interview process, nothing to do with the government. It was all done by Transport for the North. It was local authority leaders uh, across the uh, North that were uh, part of the interview process and, um, you know, made it through and uh, was selected as the the preferred candidate. And what was it about this role that kind of attracted you to it? I really had a great time when I was Secretary of State for Transport. I mean, there were some big issues which we had to deal with. There were some difficult issues and there were some big problems. But what I saw was how transformational transport can be, how important transport is. Uh, and, you know, I really enjoyed working with the Northern leaders. I think I stuck up good relationships with them. Some of them are still there. Some of them have gone. Some of them are going. Um, but there's also been quite a big change in, well, in the way in which... Uh, government structures to a degree with the rise of the metro mayors there were no metro when i was first made secretary of state for transport there were no metro mayors you think back no there were no metro mayors um so so those are a new item on the ground transport for the north is also an unusual body in that there is no other body like it in the country the closest in a way to it is uh, transport for london but that is of course chaired by the the mayor of london so uh, you know, i've got six metro mayors um, and a lot of local government reorganisation going on. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's working with them. It's working with them as to how do we make the best case for transport investment right across the region. When you think the region is basically Liverpool to Hull, to Carlisle to Newcastle, mm. um, you know, and everything in between, it's 156 parliamentary constituencies, oh, wow. I think. I didn't realise um, it was the biggest. So now. it's 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 quite it's quite something. And th- there has been some minor controversy around your appointment. I think Hull MP Diana Johnson raised concerns before it was um, officially confirmed in Parliament. She said it, there was more than a whiff of jobs for the boys about it. Well, how the, how do you respond to that? Well, the only thing I'd say to Diane, and I have seen Diane since, and uh, whatever. The only thing is, if it's jobs for the boys. Um, it was appointed by the local authority leaders in the north and had nothing to do 
uh, uh-huh. with the government. I mean, the Department of Transport had an observer on uh-huh. the um, on, on the interview panel, but it was not a decision for the government at all. Uh-huh. So you'd say you're your own man. I'm my own man. Yeah. Um, and so the role is for an initial four years, I think I'm right in saying. So what do you kind of hope to achieve in that time? And could you, uh, kind of in the, as an addendum to that question, could you give me an idea as to kind of your approach to the role? Well, my approach at the moment is to try and get out and meet as many people and talk to as many people before my first board. So I've not had my first board meeting yet. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's obviously quite over, but that's coming up at the end of March. Uh, so to try and go out and talk to people, not just political leaders, political leaders are important, but also to the business community as well. And so, uh, you know, meeting with the LEPs and uh, leaders from the LEPs, uh, meeting opinion formers right across the region. But because I want to almost re-educate myself into some of the issues, I, I remember some of them. Uh, some of them are, uh, uh, some of the improvements I signed off have now happened. The lead station is... Uh, a bit better both uh, in access than it was when I was first there, and uh, it's good to see some of those changes. Other changes that haven't uh, taken place. So um, it, it, it's getting on top of all those sort of things. Uh-huh. So obviously one of the big items um, on your to-do list when you come in is around the integrated rail plan. Um, and I was really interested when you were appointed in January, uh, Transport for the North put out a statement with a quote from yourself, and I'll, I'll just read it here. Um, It said the government's integrated rail plan goes against the best interest of the people of the north and fails to deliver the step change in rail services that is the only sustainable long term solution. Can you explain where, in your view, the integrated rail plan falls short? Well, I think what we've got to... What I've got to do now is working with Transport for the North, is work out how we... There were things in the integrated... I mean, any quote could be sort of taken and shortened, and, and I think that was part of a, a longer quote. But, you know, I, I accept that there, there was a disappointment when the uh-huh. plan was published, and, and we've got to accept that. And, and that was partly because I think expectations have been built up too much. So, so there's a lot in the IRP that is very, very good and very useful, and we need to... I want to sort of work now with Transport for the North and say, like, what are the stage posts in that IRP that we can we can see? Now, when I was Secretary of State for Transport and was in the early state, earlier stages of HS2 than we are today, uh-huh. we made lots of changes to HS2. Initially, it was not going to go to Sheffield. Initially, it was going to, going to be a brand new station at Meadow Hall. Actually, it was an engineering nightmare. What was being planned at Meadow Hall was an engineering nightmare, uh-huh. but engineers can do amazing things, and they could have overcome it. But it probably wasn't the right solution, and it was changed. So it went into Sheffield, which was what the city wanted uh, and was welcomed. And, you know, Grant has made some changes, which, which I understand. So now it's going to go into Nottingham, it's going to go into Derby, it's then going to go up to... Chesterfield and then to Sheffield. The, the big question is how do you then get it to serve Leeds? Because I think it's very important that it does serve Leeds. The government have protected the route and they've put some money aside to um, say, you know, how do we get a service into Leeds? I, I want to I work and assist that uh, because I think it is very important that we, we don't sort of say, oh, we're not getting it. Because I think it is important that it comes to Leeds. 
going to Manchester, it should serve Leeds, it should go up the East Coast as well as going up the West Coast. So, so, those, are, so those are some of the areas that I want to see work being done. The whole question of an integrated ticket uh, regime right across the transport to the North area would be transformational. I think, you know, we, we all struggle to find different tickets, different prices, different regimes, and if we can get something like London has, which is a ticket organisation right across the all, I think that would be, again, another transformational uh, thing. If one, and then the question is, how do you get the better connect, connectivity and connections between the great cities, so Manchester, Leeds, Bradford, um, that's quite a big issue, partly because of the, 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 the photography of the area, uh -huh. um, and, and we've got to work on those, and we've got to, we've got to say, well, if we don't think the uh, integrated rail plan is the right answer, what is, what is the longer term right answer? But those are more longer term issues, uh -huh. they're not things that are going to happen in the next couple of years, so we've got to make sure we can deliver what we can, make those improvements, and then work on the longer-term issue, and, and try and get the, the, the government to buy into, we've got a good, solid argument as to why these things should be done. So on, on Northern Powerhouse Rail, um, obviously the government argues, essentially, that the, the full Manchester to Leeds via Bradford route, which was what Northern uh, Transport for the North rather had been pushing for, Northern Mayors had been pushing for, effectively, the government says that would cost billions more, but deliver little extra benefit in reality. What's your view on the Northern Powerhouse Rail? Well, I think we we need to try to convince the government and that, you know, that's, that is the longer term solution. But if, if we can't get that soon, what improvements can we get that have a, a, a more instant solution? But the transport Part of the trouble with the pandemic, part of the trouble as a result of the pandemic as well. Everybody says that we're never going to go back to how things were. Uh -huh. Well, I don't know. Mm. Is the answer to that? Um, I, I think the jury's still out. Uh, you know, I much prefer talking to somebody than trying to do something over a screen. Yeah. When we were started all doing screens, we thought it was marvellous, um, and, and I think we've forgotten what we lose out. By yeah. doing it over the screen, so you know things are changing, the issues are changing, but we've also got to work along with the mayors as well and say what can we do that convinces the government that this investment pays off uh -huh. for the area, both economically, socially, uh, as as well as the general well-being, as well as some of our other international commitments such as net zero so just on that on that point of kind of working with the mayors and working with the government as well one thing that was put forward uh, in november i think it was or december by transport for the north board led by andy burnham was this idea of land value capture basically taxing the land along the potential northern powers rail route to uh, help cover some of the the difference in the costs um but the difference in the costs is billions what do you think of that idea is it a feasible idea i, I think it's something we need to look at to see whether it is a feasible idea it, there is no doubt that certain parts of crossrail in london land value capture was taken figured into uh, some of the uh, oh, early, was it oh, yeah, i appreciate I, I, I believe i believe it was yeah i'm pretty sure that there was now 
certain other other countries have done a lot more about that. Uh, and certainly, you know, if you if you see that an area has vastly improved uh, be, because of some investment that governments put in, then why not sort of say, well, actually, some of that money should also come back to the taxpayer. At, at the end of the day, that's I think that is something that could be looked at. Uh, I, I think some people would say it's a pretty that wasn't argued earlier on, and and it was a bit after the event. I, I can't I can't change what's happened mm. and what's gone on. What I can say is, you know, let's look at it. Let's see if there is a realistic opportunity of doing it. I mean, you talk to some business leaders, they're very sceptical about it. Mm. Uh, they say, you know, you can get you can get a, a feedback afterwards, but actually it's quite difficult to get it in, in, in the process. So there are, it's, it's, it, it isn't quite as straightforward, but certainly I think we should do some work on it. We should look at where it's worked elsewhere. But I'm pretty... I am pretty sure that Crossrail did have oh, really? certain areas of, of, of capture, and certainly there was a supplementary. Yeah. There was a supplementary rate uh, to cross to, to part pay for Crossrail. Yeah, and Crossrail. I mean, Crossrail was one of those projects which was everybody was singing and dancing about because it was the engineering of it worked fantastically. Yeah, the later development of it, signalling and integrating the signalling system, has led to the delays that we've seen and the cost overruns that we've seen on. It's possibly um, because I'm a cynical journalist, but I must admit when I heard the idea, although it sounded good in practice, I wasn't convinced that it would be able to meet the, I think it was £20 billion plus gap. But I suppose it at least kind of keeps the door open. And it seems from what you're talking about, it's maybe going to be more of a long-term thing, getting Northern Powerhouse Rail back on on track as an idea. I... I, I... I, I, I think we've got to build the case, show the case works, show that uh, what, why we think it's important. Um, you know, some people say Crossrail is uh, three years late. It isn't three years late. It's about 35 years mm. late from the original sort of uh, plans. Big infrastructure projects do take a long time, and, and getting the funding into place can also be a, a big challenge. Can I ask... Um... You seem to be striking more of like a conciliatory tone towards the government because when when the integrated rail plan um, came out, Transport for the North described it as woefully inadequate. Well, I guess my first question is, is that the type of language that you would have used? I would have said, there are, I think the language I would use and sort of look at is this is the, this is the document that the government has put forward. There are things in it that we like that are going to be important, that are going to change, transformationally change change uh, the transport infrastructure. How do we build on it? Because these, you know, how do we, what, what's there in the next five years? What's there in the next 10 years? Let's worry about the next 15 years, perhaps, perhaps in a bit more detail, because things will change. Uh, thing, uh, things will definitely change. I, I think there was an over-expectation, and I don't... Think. I mean, it's quite difficult for me to sort of say what actually happened before and whatever. You know, you come. I, I just wonder whether there was enough conversation between Transport for the North and, and don't forget the IRP. It's also important to remember the IRP is not just about Transport for the North. No. It also includes the Midlands. Yeah. So the, the, it, it is a bigger document than that. And, and in fairness to the government, it is the first time we've had any such document like this. 
um, covering uh, transport uh-huh. outside, outside London. But would just picking up on that over expectation point because I think it's really important. Doesn't some of the the blame lie with the government from the fact that for years we were told HS2 is coming to Leeds, and we're not just talking about HS2 services; we're talking about the HS2 line, and the the Prime Minister himself repeatedly brought up the idea of Northern Powerhouse Rail and linked it to the idea of it being between Manchester and Leeds. And that wasn't a one-time thing. And I know that Northern Powerhouse Rail wasn't as developed as an idea as HS2 to Leeds. But these were ideas put forward by the government, mentioned in Parliament. um, And even when they were questioned, people were told it's going to happen. So isn't it understandable that when, when the final document comes out, people, particularly in Yorkshire, looked at it and were like, what, what, what's yes. going on here? Yes, yes. Um, so where does the blame lie for that then? Well, I suppose every, there's nothing wrong with having big ambitions. It's then how do you make sure those ambitions are carried through and what is the reality of those ambitions? Um, I, I think I'm, I'm going to recall David Cameron reappointing this Secretary of State for Transport in 2015 when I was called into the cabinet room. And he, he looked at me and said, uh, Patrick, he said, uh, I was going to uh, move you to a different department. But the trouble is, you've been going up and down the country promising all these bypasses. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, Prime Minister, I only did that after you've done it in the first place. <laughs> to which he conceded that I was correct. Yeah. So... I, uh, I, I am pleased, actually, that we've got a Prime Minister and we've got a Transport Secretary who do think big about transport policy and transport issues and do look. And, and I think, you know, if I go back to the uh, David Cameron government, the, the way in which George Osborne, who was then Chancellor, picked up the whole Northern Powerhouse idea, the way he's still committed to it and still involved in it, is, is, is actually positive for us. Yes, we've got to now sort of win some more arguments about what what is best for that interconnectivity. Because, one, you know, if, if I look to a degree a bit about the Northern Powerhouse, I, I also look to what what's the West Midlands has got. And, you know, if you think of Wolverhampton to Coventry, you would be thinking of a not dissimilar sort of journey distances. I'll have to be careful on this because somebody will come and tell me I'm completely wrong. But I, I think we're not talking about similar distances. In fact, possibly even shorter distances between Wolverhampton and, and, and Coventry. Um, be, between Manchester and Leeds. But what we haven't got is the Pennines in the middle of uh-huh. it. And yeah. the interconnectivity. You know, you, you've got better, you've got a better transport structure which, which enables that area to uh, have, have that better connectivity across across the piece so those are some of the issues we've, we've got to uh, we've got to grapple with um, and one thing I was struck with um, was uh, your recent appearance at the transport select committee and you talked about it being absolutely essential that HS2 services reached Leeds um, and I noticed there was a distinction there between services and the actual HS2 route reaching Leeds so where do you actually stand on that? Is it the route that you want to see revived, or would services be sufficient? Because that's what Sheffield's getting, isn't it? Well, in theory. <laughs> well, it's quite interesting. When I when I became transport secretary, one of the things I tried to organise, because the concept of and, and for me it was new too. So the concept is if you go down from St Pancras and you go to Canterbury, 
you, you can get on a train at St Pancras and it's high speed down to Ashford. You then stay on the same train to take you to Canterbury. Yeah. It cuts down the, the journey time dramatically. Now, I would actually like to see services come to Leeds. Okay? I, I think that, that is that is the, the, the... Is that a more realistic proposition than the route being revived? Well, I don't know. I, I don't want... I, you see, the government, the government have protected the route. Uh-huh. So there's, they're willing to look at it. We need to assist in, in making that case. I mean, you know, Leeds is where Leeds is. It isn't going to move. Yeah. And, and there is there is, there is reasons. Now, if, if you go around Birmingham, you will start to see now where investment is being attractive because of HS2. It's always what I thought would happen. It's exactly what David Higgins would say would happen. I think the same will happen. Now, it, it's still... 10, 12, 13 years away. But, you know, in infrastructure terms, that's not too, that's not too far away. So I, I, I want to work with however the government's going to do these investigations, because we're not 100% sure exactly this. They say there's 100 million pounds there to, to do those investigations. You know, what is, what is best going to serve the area? And, and we're not... The, the trouble is... Part of the trouble is with, with infrastructure projects. We're not talking about the next 20, 25 years. We're talking about the next 100 years. Yeah. We're, we're talking now, Andy Burnham, when he appeared before the committee, kept saying 200 years. I'm a much more modest in my <laughs> ambition. Uh, but we are talking about what's going to be there for the next uh, uh, 100 years, and, and it's important to get it right. Um, and so just building on that, though, um, you were obviously uh, an MP in the East Midlands, um, and as you've kind of touched on, I think it's fair to say the integrated rail plan is actually pretty beneficial to the Midlands, particularly the East Midlands. But so should people in Yorkshire, which I think you also accept didn't get the best deal. Should they be concerned that you might go soft on the government, um, especially given that you're part of the same political party? HS2 is going to outlive the government. Uh, There are going to be different governments, what we've got to try to do is make the best case for the issue. Now, I can remember, I'm not going to mention names, uh, but I can remember having to see certain politicians uh, who were horrified at the, the, the route changes that I made as uh, Secretary of State for Transport. They were done on the back of sort of detailed uh, work done by the likes of David Higgins and his team. Um, and, and they they're, they're Warmth for HS2 mellowed a bit when they saw sort of some of the route changes, but but I, so that's that's what we got to do. Big infrastructure projects are always controversial until they're built, and then people usually say, in most cases, why we didn't we do this sooner? And and what HS2 is all about, it isn't just about speed. I, I, one of my big regrets is HS2 was ever called HS2. Yeah. You know, because it isn't just about speed, it's about connectivity and it's about capacity. It's about making sure that that capacity is, is right and can be met. And, and that was, you know, some of the big issues around Leeds, around Leeds Station uh-huh. for a start. But can you, but can you as someone uh, who represents the Midlands, has a great love of the Midlands, be an effective advocate for the North, I guess is what I'm asking. Well, some people would say that Derbyshire is a North as well. So, <laughs> yeah, well, that's yeah. true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I can't sort of change where, where I grew up. 
Um, but I'm, I'm certainly not a Londoner uh-huh. um, saying what's, what's going to happen in the North. Uh, and I, I, I think, uh, you know, working... If I don't get that kind of confidence from the likes of Andy Burnham, Steve Rotherham, eventually Brian Johnson, who I think then subsequently said something quite nice about me uh, in another time. Oh, okay. Commons. Uh, but that is, of course, overlooked. Um, <laughs> and, you know, if I don't get those confidence, then I can't do the job and I wouldn't be the right person to do the job. What I've got to try and be is a bit of a honest broker in uh-huh. a way because, because the mayors, the metro mayors, all want things five years, six years, seven years' time. You know, they want things straight away. And I understand that, and I want to see those things straight away. But when you're planning major, big infrastructure, uh-huh. it just does take a lot longer than uh-huh. you ever, ever anticipate. And, and sometimes it can be because you have to, do, you first and foremost, quite rightly have to do all the environmental assessments. Those, those take usually about two years uh-huh. because you have to do a cycle of weather, and then you do the reports, and then you do the land investigations. You know what what species and specimens you're going to find over certain areas. That has to be done. Relief on how you do that has to be done. Then when you come sometimes to just moving utilities, some of the utility movements yeah. are nightmarish. Plus, you've got to work out how you sort everything else around around the sphere. So, you know, I'm not, they just do take a lot longer uh-huh. than you'd imagine. Uh, so one thing I also wanted to ask you about was um, something that also happened in November around Transport for the North, which was um, sort of the loss of powers over the development of the Northern Powerhouse Rail Route. And they've gone from, I think I'm right in saying, from being sort of a statutory part of it to effectively being an advisor to the DFT on the subject. Are you concerned about that or are you kind of just coming into work with a new reality? I'm coming into work with a new reality. I think the people I talked to weren't surprised that was going to happen. They always thought that that was sort of on the card. So yeah, I, it's, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to come into this job doing history. Yeah. Uh, I want to come into this job with a forward side, not a backward side. Um, and can I ask you about something else that came up in Parliament last week, which was <laughs> pulling a slightly worried face there. I think you might know what I'm about to ask. No, so no. last week, um, Boris Johnson suggested HS2 might go to Bradford. Um, and after a bit of back and forth, we, we managed to establish at the Yorkshire Post that it seems there are no plans for that actually to happen. Do you have any kind of insight, dare I ask, as to as to why he said that? Or was it a case of getting confused with Leeds? Did he misspeak? Or, or has he got a secret plan for Bradford that none of us know about? Um. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I look. I, I wasn't. I, I haven't seen. I haven't seen. I've, I've, I've heard something about about it, but I haven't seen the exchanges. I, I just think in the the bare pit of these prime ministers' questions, occasionally even prime ministers make a bit of a mistake in their uh, in their job. A very good politician's answer. I well, describe I'm, that as. I'm not, I'm not sure. If, oh, well, I'm not trying to be a very good politician's answer. Um, uh, but 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 I'm. I, I, suppose I, I remember there was, a there was a fascinating experience when I was transport secretary up here in Leeds, actually. The first time I can ever recall, we got the Prime Minister and the Chancellor speaking at a rail conference. Uh-huh. And it was quite something. It got no coverage at all, <laughs> until, except for one thing. As the Prime Minister left the building up the, up the road here, a runner came running up the road 
and ran into the Prime Minister. And there was a security meltdown. <laughs> it was all innocent. It was just accidental. Uh, all the publicity was about yeah. his brother running into the Prime Minister. <laughs> as like, not a word about what he said about transport. Um, security around the Prime Minister changed substantially, I think. After yeah, that. I can imagine. <laughs> but that is that was actually happened here in Wing. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, we've talked a lot about rail. Transport for the North, not all about rail, of course. Um, there's been um, concerns about the bus network and funding of the bus network. Is that something that you feel that, that you can make a difference on or you have concerns about, or is that...? Buses are incredibly important to a lot of, a lot of people. Um, we, 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 sometimes, we sometimes get over-concentrated on rail, but buses, I have no misapprehension about how important they are to people's daily lives to, from getting to A to B and uh, that it's something we need to work on. I haven't uh, got enough information to answer uh-huh. any specific questions on that but um, I, I, I well recognise the vast importance that buses play and will continue and will play more and more as again the whole question of uh, net zero moves up the uh-huh. agenda. Uh, and we need to address that. And, and so I've just got a couple more questions, and thank you so, so much for your time. So you've also recently been appointed to the board of George Osborne's Northern Powerhouse Partnership, um, which obviously um, is connected in lots of ways to, to making the case for the North in the similar way that Transport for the North is. But um, given that the companies they represent include some of those involved in transport infrastructure projects, how do you kind of manage any potential conflicts of interest or do you, do you not see any well, my any pre- concerns on that? My predecessor, John Cridland, was, was on, on both. And, and um, it, it, the Northern Powerhouse is not a decision-making body, no. so I don't think there is a conflict of interest. I mean, otherwise you'd have the position where you couldn't speak to companies that do transport infrastructure, and they might have some of the solutions for yeah. you. You know, if they win an open competition, they win an open competition, but there'll be an open competition for whatever jobs that come about, and they will have to win those. But it doesn't stop. One of the one of the things I remember, I think it was the 2015 floods in Cumbria. We had a road that was half washed away. All, a number of bridges were destroyed, and a road half washed away. And uh, I said to the county council at the time, you sort the bridges out, I'll get the road. We'll, we'll, I'll get Iways England in to do the road. And they thought the road was going to cost, I mean, I'm doing this from memory, but they thought the road was going to cost about eight or nine million pounds to do a repair. And I um, I remember speaking to the chief executive of Iways England, as it was called then, and said, look, I want you to do this. And he, he looked at me and said, Secretary of State, there is no precedence for us doing local authority roads. We do the national highways. And I always remember looking and saying, well, there's one thing about doing something new, you set a precedence, and that's yeah. what we're going to do. And they brought in Kia to repair that road. It was done quite quick because they were able to get their expertise on it. It cost a lot less uh-huh. than the, I think in the end it was around about the £4 million mark. Uh-huh. But we did it quickly. And we and they brought their expertise to do while the county council were doing sort of bridges and getting those right. So... Look, you, we got to look for in a, in, a, in, in innovative ways of addressing some of the transport issues. And if some of those are new, fine, good. And I guess it's all both bodies would argue that they're kind of beating the same drum to a certain extent, which is making the case of better transport connectivity in the north. Not just, I mean, Northern Powerhouse is not just no, about transport. No, I, I take it, that point. It's about, it's about education, it's about training, 
It's about giving young people the skills that are needed. And, and that also fits in incredibly well with the Metro Mayors. You know, the, you know, looking at what we're doing in the, in the STEM, STEM subjects, you know, are we giving our young people the same kind of opportunities that uh, people elsewhere are getting as far as STEM subjects are concerned, working with the education, education leaders in schools? You know, those are vitally important to skill young people to the right skills to get the opportunities that they need. So I guess my final question then is, obviously, you've only just got your feet under the table. I don't think um, I have yet. I mean, <laughs> you're starting to get your feet under the table. Of, uh... <laughs> but I guess my, my final question would be, what for you would be success in this role in terms of what can be achieved for Yorkshire in terms of better transport? Well, that's some of the things I want to look at. I, I want to look at what the IRP says and, and how do we sort of uh, get that into what is deliberably over the next four or five years? Because although that seems a long way away, it, it isn't that far away. It's, it's almost immediate in transport infrastructure terms. Uh, and what are the longer term plans? And, and get us onto a sustainable base that we can we can have an overall agenda that we're all agreed in as, as to the way to move forward. And, and just on that, sorry, a couple of extra bonus questions. Sorry, it's always the case. It's always the case. <laughs> is what's your message then to government on the IRP? Is it we're going to work with you to deliver this? Is it you need to think again? Uh, we'll work with them to deliver this, but we'll also work to improve it. Okay, perfect. Look, thank you so so much for your time, Patrick. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Okay, thanks very much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Pod's Own Country. If you have any topics you think we should be covering or any stories you think we should be digging into, please get in touch with me um, via email, chris.burn at jpimedia.co.uk. Um, speak next week.